I was in a conversation with um, uh, someone before the service began, and um, and then as we were worshiping, I just felt um, I don't know if this is going to be helpful, but I just um, kind of feel I got a word for someone or for us or for me, <laughs> um, for all of us perhaps. If you've got a if you've got a smartphone, can you just take it out? If you've got a smartphone. If you don't know what a smartphone is, you probably haven't got one. <laughs> if you've got a smartphone. Can you just, um, can you just flick on? I, I'm, I'm hoping this will work. If it doesn't work, it's God's fault. Um, can you flick on Wi-Fi if you've not already got it? Or can you go to your settings and look for Wi-Fi? Okay. If you've got that. Some of you going, I don't know where settings is. This is not a word for you. <laughs> if you can. And uh, as you look through the possibilities of Wi-Fi, you should be able to see Neil's phone. <laughs> yes, ask Siri. <laughs> um, I don't know, can you see Neil's phone? Okay. Let me just try something. No, you should be. Let me just try something. Okay. Can you find it now? I don't care how you get it. I just want you to get it. I don't care how you get it. Can you see it? I've got Bluetooth pairing requests from some of you. Um, okay, you got me. You got me. Okay. All right, we're not going to lose sleep over this, and you won't lose your salvation if you didn't get Neil's phone. Um, but just to say, um, this is, you can forget about your smartphone now. Yeah, sorry. Or you can go on playing solitaire as you were. Um, if, you can, if you can see Neil's phone on, on Bluetooth, or do you want to share your personal hotspot with Andrew Gordon? Not really. Um, <laughs> Etc. 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 But if you can see that, this is the point that I think I wanted to say. I don't know that there would be more than 10% of us in the room who understands how that works. I don't understand how it works. But in this room, as we do that, something happens that means that through some dark art... <laughs> What's happening on my phone, you connect with. And I don't understand how that works. And the truth is, I don't actually need to understand it. And this is what I felt um, from a conversation, and as we were worshipping this morning, just so I was reminded about, is we were talking about angels. And angels are, in some ways, quite mysterious, because we don't talk about them much, because it's not exactly clear, there's no biblical, this is where they came from, this is what they do, they're just there. And they're never more there than in the book of Revelation. But they're surrounding us. And I don't need to understand a whole stack about them. But what I do know is that these angels, these messengers from God, these guardians from God, come and surround us. Now, I might sound too mystical for some of you. 
But just in the same way as we live in a remarkable world where I can switch on a Wi-Fi hotspot down here and you can somehow connect with that and you don't understand how that works. So actually when we come together, we enter into a different world where actually the stuff that we live with day by day, which sometimes is good and sometimes is bad, sometimes is we don't know how to deal with, but actually we come into a space and one of the things that we're reminded of is that we are surrounded by God. You're just surrounded by him. You're held by him. The Father, Spirit, and Son who has acted for you. His angels who surround you, and you don't understand it, and you don't need to, but actually today, it's almost like we flick the switch, and we go, I don't get it, but I'm glad it's there. The angels who protect, the angels who guide, the angels who reveal, the angels who direct, the angels who come and say, you're his. I don't get any of that, and I'm not mystical particularly by nature, and so it, it kind of messes with my head, if I'm honest. Some of you perhaps are much more intuitive than I am, but it messes with my head. But I, I step into this world of God, and I step into this world of Scripture, and I step into this world, and I go, so that's what the world's like. And I just felt this morning that I wanted to re remind us that in the same way as we don't get much that we rely on, it's there. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's what I felt God was reminding me of. Last week we began a, a series of sermons that will run for uh, six, I think, um, around um, the book of Proverbs and around wisdom. You know that if you've been with us already, that this has been a sort of a theme that's been running through some of the things that we've been saying. To help you, um, if you're in a small group, you um, will be encouraged to be using this book uh, by a friend of mine, Anthony Billington, simply called Proverbs, Wisdom for the Whole of Life. If you're not part of a small group, but you'd love to have that book uh, to use, and I would recommend it. It's, it's actually, I mean, there's two things. It's actually quite beautifully designed, which I always like, um, but it's also really good stuff, and it's, it follows it through in six sessions, and you could use it on your own. It's, you don't need to be part of a small group to get the benefit of it. And um, three quid. It's like a price of a coffee. So I've got some. I've not got loads, but if you want to get one, then come and talk to me afterwards. Last week, we began by just exploring what Proverbs were, and we did that in a number of different ways, and those of you that were with us might remember what we did. What I want to do today is really think through um, your role, particularly uh, for those of you that are parents, particularly those of you that are grandparents, or those of you that are seeking to influence the next generation somehow. Some of you are teachers, some of you are um, sort of aunts and uncles, some of you are godparents, some of you have younger people in your life that actually you're really bothered about. They might be your siblings, they might be younger brothers and sisters, or it may indeed be your own uh, family. When you ask yourself, what do you want for them? What do you want for them? I wonder what you'd say. If you ask uh, sort of like 100 people on the street, what do you want for the next generation? What do you want for your kids? What do you want for your grandparents, uh, for your grandparents, for your grandchildren? Let's get it that way around. What do you want for your grandchildren? What do you want for your children? I think most people would go, we want them to be happy. We want them to be happy. 
I'm not sure actually that's a biblical hope. There's more. I don't want them to be unhappy. Let's get straight about that. But actually there's more than just being happy. For those of you who have family and those of you that are surrounded by younger children, you know the threats that seem to come from all around us are now much more than they were when we were growing up. Do you remember those of you that are sort of like my age, about 35? Do you remember when, do you remember growing up? Do you remember, I mean, some of you now, you know, like those of you that are younger, there was a day when the only way you could contact your parents if you were out was with a 2p coin and a red telephone box. And they had to go and answer the phone in the hall (laughs) that didn't have a seat. (laughs) And do you remember those days when you were a kid, some of you? Do you remember the sense of freedom? Do you remember the sense of safety? I mean, you look back now and you go, the 1970s weren't safe. Now we know what was going on. But actually, it felt safe. And your parents thought it was safe. And you took off for days on end. And they never knew where you were. And now... Your child is eight, and you give them a mobile phone because you want to stay in touch with them. And we fear far more than we used to fear, and maybe we're right to, I don't know, but it's kind of like, how do we help this next generation? And that's when they're sort of eight to 13, and then they get into teenage years, and you begin to uh, become aware that you have decreasing power. (laughs) You know, some days you get to, when your kids are getting older, you get to the point where you go, do you know what, it was a lot easier when they were in bed at seven (laughs) o'clock. And they go through those teenage years, and then into the adult years. And it's worse. I I, I don't want to discourage those of you that got younger children. (laughs) But actually, it doesn't get any better. (laughs) That's okay, Dan. (laughs) That's the encouraging word for you this morning, brother. Because actually, you have decreasing power to influence them, and you pray more. I think the thing that kids do for Christians is they encourage you to pray. Because actually, you realize that increasingly, I don't know how else to help. And so, you learn to pray. There is a a, a context for all of this, isn't there? There's a a, a social context. that um, I don't know if you heard um, the news yesterday morning, um, but the yesterday morning the statistics came out and said that knife crime is at the highest for 70 years, since records began. Um, so way back um, when we began to keep records, now teenagers are carrying knives and in some context guns because actually it's the only way to make them feel safe. And yesterday on Radio 4 in the news uh, in the morning, there was interviews with young people asking them, why do you carry a knife, and they said, because if you don't, you just don't feel safe. It feels a long way from junior church. But that's the context in which some of our young people are growing up. Um, there's a woman called Natasha Devon, who was the, um, the mental health sort of uh, czar, the guru for the government. Uh, she's no longer that, but uh, she's worked in this area. And um, on the 4th of February, uh, so just uh, this week really, uh, she said, top r- reasons that teens tell me their mental health is suffering. 
academic anxiety, lack of community support, problems at home, no one to talk to, loss of activities which help them cope, sport and music, and worries about the future. These are teenagers telling the woman who oversees mental health issues, this is what causes us mental health issues. Did you ever imagine that actually on a national level that we would be having conversations about at the teenage mental health? I never imagined that. I, I don't remember anybody having that conversation when I was growing up. I don't even remember us having that conversation 15, 20 years ago. But suddenly it's there. And it's real for some because, of course, the other thing that happened this week was the, the, the suicide of the young girl and the conversations about Instagram and Facebook and the implications of social media. And then the government, um, the, the government uh, medical officer has come out and said, two things if you've got children, no screens at mealtime, no phones in the bedroom. Give us a job. Um, because actually the, the, the chief, the government chief medical officer is saying to families, can you provide a context for your children to talk and can you help them sleep? Whether you have children of your own or whether you're just concerned, this is the world we live in. And can I just say one other thing before I get into the passage? If you don't have children of your own, you're surrounded by children here. This is the way I see it, and, and some of you will have heard me say this sort of stuff before. You join a church... You join a church not for yourself primarily. You join a community. That's the idea. The, the art of church leadership is the tricky art of trying to take a bunch of individuals and trying to enable a community to be formed. But the community is not simply one of adults. You join a community and the community involves all those young lives that went through there. They may not be yours, but they become yours because you join the community. They may not be yours by blood, but actually you have a responsibility for them as they grow because you hand over the baton of faith to the next generation. And so it may not be yours, but by dint of the fact that you belong to the church community, they are yours. Some of you have been with us for decades now and you've seen generations of children having been dedicated. Do you remember all those promises you've made to so many children? Do you remember? We get the parents up and we console them. We get, <laughs> we get the friends up and they go, we'll back them up. And then we say to you, will you? And you mumble back, yeah, maybe. You say, yes, we will. We will model something. We will care for these young people. These kids become ours. So please hear me this morning. You may not have children of your own. Many of you do. You may not yet be at grandparent stage. If you live long enough, some of you will. But you've all got kids. You've all got kids. And this is the world that those children are growing into. That's the world that these children that we've just sent out are growing into. And it strikes me that in some ways it's not the panacea, there isn't a panacea, but it strikes me that actually the community of faith and faith in Jesus and a hope and a bigger perspective on life actually possibly 
begins to address some of those concerns that teenagers have. If your biggest concern as a teenager is academic anxiety, what is the Christian response to that? You are not earning your salvation by law or effort. You are not worth what your certificate tells you. And if you were, then some of us in this room would be... <laughs> You're worth far more than that. Your life isn't. I know the pressure that some parents face, that the idea, if I don't get the kids into the right school, if they don't get it at 16, if they don't get it at 18, if they don't get it, then actually all's lost. No, it's not. For we believe in a God who sees and cares and holds our children. You can leave at 16 with no qualifications. And the world will tell you you've wasted, you're, and you are wasted. But God never says that. And neither do we. And so on and so forth. A lack of community support. You are the community. You're the village. You're the village that it takes to raise a child. They need aunts and uncles that are not real aunts and uncles. You fit the bill. They need people who are just a constant support around them that know their name. You're the ones when there are problems at home. And let's be honest between us. There are problems at home from time to time. Hands up if you've never had a problem at home. I can only assume you live on your own <laughs> and you get on very well with yourself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Some of us in a dark room on our own would have an argument. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to say a whole stack of stuff this morning, but I want to say to you, when you yell at your kids, because you're up to ear, if you yell at your kids every day, all days, you've got a problem, let's talk about it. But if actually from time to time you do that, it doesn't make you rubbish. It makes you like the rest of us. How many of us who you know, like brought kids up beyond the age of 18 know that we did it all right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, clearly, me and Maggie, we would want to put our hands up at that point because <laughs> our children don't listen to this. But um, you don't. You have days when you yell. You have days when you lose it. You have days when actually there are problems at home. You have days when there are arguments between the two of you. And actually your kids hear that. You have days like that. The village comes into its own at that point. That's when the village comes into it. Because actually, there is a village of people. There are people like Morag and the team. There are people like Andrew and Alex and the team who go, do you know what? It's rubbish at home right now. And they go, it's not always going to be like this. It's why a village is needed to bring up a kid. And you're the village. And I, I kind of want to say something that sounds a bit hard right now, but it means then you can't just be dominated by your own problems. You're a village that has a responsibility for a next generation. And you're a village that actually helps parents. Because to be honest, it's like there's Anne at the back um, with her little one. And Anne, you know, we just want to take off our hat to you. 
all right, for fostering these little babies. How you do it at this age, grand age, um, remarkable age. Um, we just... <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing about Anne. Here's the thing about Anne. Anne didn't just sort of write, uh, ring up and say, I, I, I'd take one. I'll have one. Nothing to do. I'll have one. Foster agency didn't go, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of them. How many do you want? Anne has to go through courses. Anne has to be trained. She has to be vetted. They come and look at her house. They talk to her family. It's really hard to, to foster. Those of us who have never fostered, who asked us if we would be any good? <laughs> Just because you can bear a child doesn't mean to say you're any good at it. And you kind of work, you begin by thinking, we're going to be sorted by this. I, I, know, how, I know how children are brought up. I was one, I, I, I remember. And then you need more than one because you've got your first one, you just practice on. <laughs> and that's why they resent you for the rest of their life. It's kind of like you, you had the second one, it was much easier for the second. I, I don't know. I mean, I can only imagine by the fourth they're going, oh, it was easy. <laughs> um, but like your second one, the second child's going, oh, your first child will always say, you, you didn't treat them like me. I had to come in at half past three in the afternoon. <laughs> and you have to explain to them, we were just practicing. <laughs> we had a book, but it was we, we, parenting for dummies, but you, you weren't in it. <laughs> to say this, nobody checked us out. Nobody asked us, are you mentally stable enough? Nobody asked the wider family and said, can you help? We just had kids. And you learn on the job, but the village teaches you how to do it. You've got other people around you who go, we'll help. We'll help. This is the village. And so be careful with one another. Be careful when you look at someone else and how they're dealing with their kids. You know, if you've never had kids, be careful how you think about how they're doing. And if your kids now are 30, be careful about how, because you had days like that too. It's just that they're a long way away now. How does the Bible help? Look at Proverbs 2. When we go to Proverbs, this is what we said last week. The whole of the book of Proverbs, written by, sort of begun to be compiled by Solomon. But um, the, the idea of this book of Proverbs, um, the way it's designed is that in the first third of the book, there's these nine speeches from a father to a son, and then uh, a whole bunch of sort of like scattergun Proverbs, and we'll come to some of those later. But it opens, the book of Proverbs opens this... This book is written, these Proverbs are given for doing what's right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. In other words, this book is given that actually the next generation will learn wisdom. The rest of the world may want your children to be happy. Do you know what I've always wanted for my own life and for my kids is I want them to be wise. I want the kids back there to be wise. And I'll explain more about why I think that matters. But let's read 
from chapter 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it, ask for silver, and search for it, ask for hidden treasure, this is the promise. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. Wow. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose way of life is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. And then you'll understand what's right and just and fair. It's the same phrase again from chapter 1. And it'll repeat all the way through these speeches. The father says, what I want for you, son, is that you'll understand what's right and just and fair. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who've left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who's left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus, you'll walk in the ways of the just and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. This writer, father speaking to a son, wants for his children that this generation will grow to be wise and to be godly. And throughout all the options that will come to this young man's life, the father goes, son, I want you to be wise. I want you to navigate. And it's kind of interesting because I think the thing about wisdom is wisdom is more than just keeping the rules. Wisdom is knowing how to grow. As they grow, at every stage, I don't want the children to be good. I want them to be wise. I want them to make the choices because it's not always going to be easy. What does the chapter tell us? Well, really obvious stuff. What is your role as part of the village? What is your role as a, fa a father or a mother? What is your role as a grandparent? Your role is to encourage growth in wisdom. Do you remember when you were kids... Do you remember, if you ever did talk to your parents about some of the stuff that was going on, they would just often, or maybe, but I think, I think this is very common, often they'd just say, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just do that? And I don't know about you, but often it would be like, the response in your head would be, you don't get it, do you? You don't understand. Do you remember, I don't know if any of you were bullied at school, if you ever talk to someone about it, they'd say stuff like, just tell the teacher. Any of you, don't put your hand up, any of you know how that felt when you were told that? And that feeling of, you don't get it, do you? 
because you knew that if I just told the teacher, which seems a simple thing and, and probably the right thing, and I'm sure teachers in the room would want to know that sort of stuff and could do stuff, but it felt like when you were 12, if I just tell the teacher, then I'll really get beaten up. You don't get it. So it's not about life for these youngsters. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's actually about the wisdom. How do you act when you're 13 and 14 and someone offers you, here, smoke this? What you want them to go is, no! (laughs) And you pray they won't. But how do they do that if it's their circle of friends? Apparently, me goes, stop being their friend. Wisdom says, actually, how do you deal with that wisely? What does wisdom look like when you're offered smoke this? That's what we want in our children, not just, we know it's wrong, don't do it. But actually, what they need is wisdom to know how to navigate it. And actually, when you throw your hands up and just scream, no, which you want to, Oh, you want to. But actually, what's wisdom look like here? Wisdom, the father says to the son, is possible. I want you to grow in this. I want you to turn your ear to wisdom. I want you to apply your heart to understanding. And I don't know, but the tricky thing is to keep those conversations going with your kids when they go through that period of life called grunt where they kind of lose the ability to speak um, for four or five years and then um, it comes back again unless they're talking to their friends and then you can't understand what they're on about anyway um, it's kind of like how how do we start those conversations early enough how do we start the conversations when they will talk to us above all I want wisdom. I think you need to understand their specific temptations. In chapter 2, there are two specific uh, temptations that uh, are outlined. From verse 12, um, the wicked men from men whose words are perverse, who've left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong. And then the second one is, verse 16 onwards, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. There's two things there. There's that sense of there's a possibility which we would just sort of call going with the wrong crowd. You can get swept up in the wrong crowd. How do you help them? Salford culture is, is, has its own, I think our culture as a city has its own specific temptations. So I, I was uh, getting my hair cut um, a while ago. And uh, I just got the one on the height. He's a very good fox. He's a good bloke. Um, six pounds. Excellent. Um, although overcharged if you've not got a lot of hair, but it's all right. And he loves it when people from the church go. Truth. And uh, one bloke popped his head round the door as I was getting my hair cut and shouted, do you want a box? A TV box. And so I started a conversation about this. And uh, Foxy's going to me. Do you want a box? TV box? 30 quid. You get all the channels. I'm going, I pay 50 quid. I get 
BBC One, BBC Two, ITV and ITV Three, and a few more. He goes, you're nuts. 50 quid, you get all the channels. It's a decoder. And I go, Foxy, you know I can't do that. Ah, oh, you Christians. He goes, Murdoch's got enough money. You don't need to give him any more. You don't need your money, Neil. Just think what you could do with it. Take the box. No, Foxy, no, I can't take the box. Why? Oh, Foxy. It's stealing, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's stealing. Yeah, but you're only stealing from Sky. You're bonkers. <laughs> Just cut straight. Um, you're only stealing from Sky. It's, it's not real stealing. It's not from people. No, Foxy. You know, you know I can't. And so we laughed and we moved on. But the culture is get one over Sky. Win. Don't let them grind you down. Don't let them disrespect you. They're out to get you. Our kids growing up, it's not about hooky boxers. It's about the culture behind that. What does it look like for us as a church to say to kids, actually, do you know what? The whole world is not out to screw you. Apologies if that offends you. The whole world is not out against you. You are not a victim here. You're a citizen. We don't work on the basis of how do we avoid everything we actually contribute and we don't mind. Because actually we want to live right. I don't want to live with someone looking over my shoulder, having to look over my shoulder. I want to live right. This is what wisdom looks like in a culture like ours. Do you understand the culture of your own children? Do you understand the pressures that our children are under? Do you understand how it's easy to go off the rails? How will we help them? Not when they're 15, it's too late. But when they're eight. And the second thing that is here is this adulterous woman. And actually, if you just have, not now, but if you just have a flick through the rest of these speeches, the father is concerned about adulterous women. There seemed to be a lot of them around at that time. Uh, now, if it were Solomon, then maybe that's understandable because he got himself into a whole stack of trouble with women that he shouldn't have been involved with. And it certainly, his sensuality dented his spirituality. But Solomon keeps, uh, these proverbs keep coming back. Son, watch out. Watch out, and very specifically here, watch out for someone who's left their own commitment, their own marriage. Because it looks so exciting. But you'll, you'll end up in the same way. You'll end up in the same dead end. And if on the one hand it's like, how do we give our children wisdom so they don't go with the wrong crowd, but actually live wisely. The other thing is, how do we help them have relationships that are stable and long? We model it. You'll understand what's right and just and fair. Wisdom will enter your heart. Discretion will protect you. 
Understanding will guard you. You see, the point is of all of this, it's not just what do we do with the younger generation, it's actually what do we do for ourselves. And I know that in the room, there are people who are still in pain because of relationships that you were wronged. And uh, you know the pain of that. And there's other people in the room who actually carry residual guilt because of stuff that has happened in earlier years. But I think everybody in the room, we too want to get one over everybody else, make sure we're winning. But secondly, this thing of how do we keep our own relationships right? How do you do that on the days when you're, if you're married, your own marriages are just hard? And it looks more exciting to go off somewhere else. And it, there's, you know, like if we just talk as adults together, there's not one of us in the room that wouldn't have that thought from time to time. I could just walk away and start again. And it would be easier and it would be more exciting. And I'd be happier and I'd be a better person even. And the father says to the son, stay with the commitments you made, son. Don't get sucked in too easily to these relationships that promise you the world but offer you nothing. Don't give yourself away too cheaply. Those of you that are with children that will come up to teenage years, the, the whole context of sex and how you give yourself too easily away too soon to the wrong people you have to have those conversations. You know that, and I know that. And it's, there's nothing, nothing more difficult. But I need to model it. And then finally, I need to help one another. We help one another, not just by helping our children know about Jesus, or know about the stories of Jesus, or even knowing how to pray. Although, if you are grandparents, and if you are parents... Your responsibility, your primary responsibility, it's not the church's responsibility, your primary responsibility is to disciple your own children. It's not the church's responsibility. They are there to help you. It's your responsibility to disciple your own. And with your own grandchildren, do that awkward work of having the conversation with your sons and your daughters, if they're not Christians, about how can I enable my grandchildren to experience what it means to know about Jesus. But it's more than just knowing about the stories. But you do need to tell the stories. Read the Bible with them when they're still willing to communicate with you. Pray with them. And then when they won't allow you to pray with them, pray over them. And pray for them. And I know you do. But help them to know how to pray. But more than all of that, help one another to build wisdom in that crowd over there. <coughs> and in all seriousness, as I finish, I don't think it's easy. And I don't think there's a silver bullet. And I don't think there's just one way of doing it. And I don't think everybody, I don't think anybody in the room goes, yep, we've got this sorted. So what do we need? Well, we go back to the beginning. God, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. We need wisdom. We're going to pray together. And then these guys are going to come back. And um, I suppose, I suppose it, it, you know, it's kind of like... <laughs> this might sound a bit bizarre, really. 
if I'd heard that sermon, if I was sitting with you, <laughs> where you are, I'd go, that's me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm preaching to myself. It's like, I, I need wisdom. I just need wisdom to do this. And if someone had said, we're going to pray for those of you that need wisdom, I'd stand. I'd stand. If you need wisdom to know how to do this with your children, with your grandchildren, with these kids, because we're the village, and you kind of go, God, I don't know how to do this, then stand and let's pray together. Father God, we are not ashamed to stand. <laughs> we are not ashamed to stand. We are not ashamed to stand and it be a sign that, God, we don't really know how to do this. <laughs> We're not ashamed to say to you, Father God, will you help us? We're not ashamed to say, will you give us wisdom? Even as we help them with wisdom. We are not ashamed to say that we care for those of our own and those who are not our own deeply. And we long to see them grow as wise. Lord, we stand together and we say, please, God, help. James writes a letter in the New Testament. He said, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Well, here we go. <laughs> oh, Father, we ask you for the wisdom that we need. We ask you for the wisdom we need. We ask you for the wisdom. Just ask for your own where you are. Just ask. It's kind of like a position of vulnerability because you're going, God, I, I don't know, but I don't know how to do it. But I'm coming to you, the one who gives wisdom in spades. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, we pray. It's kind of interesting because wisdom is something you search after, but it's also a gift. One of the gifts of the Spirit, even. Come, receive the gift of wisdom from the Spirit who pours himself out upon you. That you might know what to say, that you might know what to do, and perhaps even more importantly, you might know when to do and to say stuff. Father God, come by your Spirit, we pray. We receive from you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Those angels that surround us, serving the purpose of God and helping us. You're surrounded by the mercy of God, the one who will be there for you, the one who will help you. May you know him.